I can't imagine connecting in Pearson every time I have to go somewhere. <laughs> that that sounds like worse than any other airport to connect in. Worse than Atlanta. <laughs> You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. It is episode 349 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by Fosma Mood and Seth Miller. Gentlemen. Good evening. What the what? <laughs> you're, you're a gentleman, right? Apparently. <laughs> How you doing? I went out to dinner tonight, so I'm great. <laughs> that means that means he had some he had some booze. I did. <laughs> Adult beverages. Was was uh was this indoor dining? Did you did you take no. a risk? No. Yeah. Uh there there's still actually the weather has finally become nice again up here. So we have and the good restaurants have outdoor dining. So nice. Very nice. Yes, there's actually one that opened up, I want to say just before the pandemic and has thus far survived quite nicely through it and does great food and you know, most of the alcohol I drink is just straight, so they do that just fine also. Um, <laughs> Well, I like vodka on the rocks. I like my rum neat. I had a glass of wine. It was you were you were, you were set. Yeah, it's nice very com- very complex drinks, but you know they pulled off so well. <laughs> did you survive all the rain? We did. We actually, I mean, we got a couple inches from the storm. Obviously, not nearly as bad as the folks down on the coast, but uh, that was fine. Not nearly as bad as the folks in New Orleans and Southern Mississippi are about to get screwed. But we're recording this Saturday night, so Ida's about to wreak havoc. So good luck, y'all. I hear, I hear, I hear. Hurricanes are caused by Antifa. So interesting. You guys, you guys don't get that joke because you don't you don't live up here. But everybody blames the wildfires up here on Antifa, setting them as some black flag thing. So that's my little kickback to them. Anyway, <laughs> what does it have to do with hurricanes? Stephen Seagraves conspiracy theorist. Yeah, I'm 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 tr- throwing it back. I, I like your new title. I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Deep state, deep state, Stephen. That's what you can call me. DSS. <laughs> All right, let's talk about aviation. <laughs> this is falling off the rails. Uh, cash and points. United is uh, turning into Allegiant. Is that the joke? <laughs> well, I mean, Allegiant just did announce, you know, a grand new program that's based on smaller redemptions. So, uh, yeah, sure, let's go with that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, so what? What is the story here? That United is allowing cash plus point redemptions in the near future. They've kind of announced it, hinted. They at announced it. it internally. There's an internal memo that uh, Brian Summers on Twitter shared. I'm sure some other folks have seen it as well at this point too. Uh, but he ba- basically what it says is for certain domestic markets, they're going to start offering a cash and points option. And I cannot help but assume it will be similar to every other cash and points option that has come around uh, in recent years, which involves you spend a certain amount of points and then they get converted to a cash value and then you pay you know, the dollar fare difference to make up the rest. Um, it's United. They'll charge you the certain points value and the full dollar difference. <laughs> Ooh, bonus. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things, like at least with a program that is strictly revenue-based, right? If you go to a Southwest, a JetBlue, uh, Allegiant, right? Allegiant is a fixed redemption value. JetBlue and Southwest are semi-flexible in terms of the points have sort of a range, but you sort of know what you're getting yeah. within that range. Um, at least you know what you're saving and you can estimate the value of your points. When it, when you start dealing with the like, maybe it's 10,000 points or you know 30,000 points to go to Europe and maybe it's some weird combination of, I don't know, because it's the dollar value and probably around a penny a point. We haven't seen it yet, but let's assume they're not going to go crazy. Um, it 
does interesting things to the concept of loyalty uh, or to the concept of what points value really is. And I'm not opposed to it on part, like on spec. Like I, I understand the idea of providing small redemptions that are still travel related rather than like you have to book, you can, you can buy magazines that no one wanted anyways. But at the same time, uh, it really, it's no longer the sort of aspirational go to the islands and live in a, you know, whatever, a hut over the water or that sort of thing. So I don't know. But I mean, the fact that United can't price premium economy awards over the ocean properly over, it does not just over the ocean anywhere. And they can't, they, they can't, they can't price premium cabin period. There are many times when either premium economy or business are cheaper than coach. Yeah. They are, or they are not. They are. Okay, well, I was going to say, there's the frequency with which I see business class cheaper than premium economy is far more than I see them cheaper than economy. But yeah, the, the whole, I, I think the whole industry has screwed up on premium economy so badly with award, with respect to awards, like the ability to redeem across partners, the ability to get it at a normal price point, all of those things. Like, is it, is, This isn't that hard. You I mean, think? If the J award is cheaper than the coach award, then either you uplift the J award or you bring down the coach award. Right? That's <laughs> easy, if else. You know, there's times where, like, that I mean, it's less common, but there are times where the business class discount advanced purchase fare is cheaper than economy because there's only Y fares left or something. Y inventory not, left. Not anymore, though, because all the premium J cabins are tied to an underlying coach bucket, so they can figure that out. Okay. I'm at glad they finally I mean, fixed that. I mean, yeah, that used to be a problem, obviously. Yeah, at least on United, they fixed that. Now, every, you know, uh, up fare, whether it comes into Books of the Sea, P, Z, uh, I don't think J is one, but it might be. But the, all those up fares actually have a coach component underneath. And if that coach is not available, even if P is nine, you will not get it. Wow. Do they- I'm, okay, but they still can sell a straight P fare, right? Right, but the the straight fares are oh, much more expensive. Okay. Yeah, so the just the ones that always price cheaper were the up fares. Yes, gotcha. I, I I just yeah I'm I'm not I'm I'm a bit skeptical about all this. I I mean Seth, you had a uh, a bit of a theory on what United's doing with this. I I think I really do think it's based on trying to provide smaller point value redemptions, right? The, the, there's a sort of I'm not sure what even more to use here. There, there's a concept within the industry that, and a, a construct. It's like when people redeem, there's almost always a renewed vigor of earn. So there, I don't know, it's endorphins or what you want to call it, but people are happy that they got the value for the redemption. So all of a sudden they start to earn points again because they want to do it again. Mm-hmm. And so the problem with the sort of traditional whatever programs, legacy programs, is that you need too many points to redeem. And that has only gotten worse over time, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, if you look at Delta, Delta has sort of moved in this general direction anyways, but started when they took, when they took away their award charts, they, you know, and we all decried it for certainly useful reasons at the time, but, and there are still very, there are definitely problems with not having those charts available. But at the same time, there's also the part where even without those charts, now Delta has said, you know what, we can have a 3000 point sale or a 5,000 point sale for one way domestic tickets or, you know, 30,000 points to Asia where it used to be 45 or whatever, whatever the numbers are, they can do those sorts of things and not have to worry about the fact that there's a chart behind it that they have to adhere to. Just because you have a chart doesn't mean you can't do promotions. That's easy. Sure. But it, 
I, I agree, but also it does make the marketing and one might argue that the advertising of it gets harder. You certainly do you have to publish it as a promotion every time or is it false advertising? There I could I could see some concerns about that. I'm not saying they're necessarily legit, but um, and understanding what the top cost is would be useful. But one of the most important things to a positive customer experience is consistency. If your pricing is not going to be consistent, then you're actually really confusing the customer and causing complications. And that's Air, one airfare varies wildly, though, right? It does, but not as much as uh, redemptions. Mm, I don't know. I, I can walk by a. Uh, Ticket from Newark to Chicago within seven days for three hundred dollars. I cannot get a fifty thousand mile award seat. Hmm. But that's because. What do you mean what? you can't get? Wait, you can't get a fifty thousand point seat one way? Nope. What are they charging? A hundred or seventy something. Wow, well, that's gone up. That's my point. <laughs> the revenue management is so skewed that there's not consistent pricing. Yeah, I, I, I'm not expecting it to be 100% consistent or even necessarily within a range, but I would I would argue that if the dollar fare and depending on who they're matching and with basic economy and whatnot, if you have a 30 to $300 range on cash tickets, then 10,000 to 100,000 points is a 10x range, while we might decry the value per point, isn't completely irrational. And I think it's, I'm not going to say 100,000 point ticket for North Chicago is a good idea, but like, I'm also not willing to say it's completely no it is completely stupid never mind yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> one of the flights coach was 70 something and business was less yeah by a few thousand right yeah, they, there's a gap in revenue management for award sites and yeah. they're throwing all these complexities in but not fixing the underlying pricing mechanisms and that, and that's you know what i mean years ago continental slash united started to tie the number of points required to a theoretical, rather than like they, they sort of internally put a dollar amount on what the points are worth and said if it's, you know, le- if the revenue fare is less than X, then you can get the discounted rate. And if it's more than X, you get the rule buster rate. And they've obviously added more tiers since then. But I, I'm i not saying that they're necessarily doing it right. But at the same time, I would say that the, the idea of being able to mix and match cash and points more freely, I understand why that's appealing to a larger segment of the population right? you've got plenty of people that don't want to wait three years through whatever their credit card spend and occasional flights are to be able to have enough points to redeem they'd rather a program where they can get you know thirty dollars off and just be done no i get that but the advantage you have to a award chart is you know all those folks who save miles for aspirational type travel or for something they try you know what their once a year trip to florida mm-hmm. they have an expectation they can set a goal and go for it right yeah they, they, you've taken that variable away that's fair. I, that's fair. I will. The, the counterpoint to that is for several years now, at least United hasn't necessarily made those less seats available even to, to general members, but you had to have elite status to even get that. So there's been some challenges there, but it's right. Isn't that one of the things they did? Not the last seat, but like if you were looking for a family of four and you knew that your award was going to be 25,000 miles. Yeah. No, 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 you, no I know you, what you're saying. You would plan your spending according to that. Yeah. If, you're, if you're, most of your miles are coming from a credit card. Now, if you don't know what that price is going to be, it actually disincentivizes people and pushes people to just buy the seat, right? And takes away from the activity on the credit card because those points have become worthless to those people. I don't think so. But maybe it maybe it pushes the credit card spend to a different card. Is your argument like what, that's pushing them to a cash based or a bank? Right, right, right. But from an airline's perspective, it's no longer on their card, right? That that's a hurt. That's a, yeah. some, a pain uh, the airline feels. 
I would say that based on the this last quarter's series of reports and what the airlines have said, that's not happening. Sorry. Okay. All of them, to, to every single one of them has said that credit card co-brand spend is up compared to 2019 levels in Q2. Okay. I mean, I don't use my uh, co-brand cards anymore. I've given up, so. But I think it's only a matter of time that that's, that's going to shift when the miles are not – when you don't have a predictable spend on a mile. That and, will spend. That will shift at some point. No, I get what you're saying. The, the kind of point to that is if the, that people are also finding the 3,000, 5,000, whatever discounted promotion rates to be very compelling. And it's, you know, it's not, you know, someone's like, oh, I used to spend 12,500 miles on this and now I'm spending 5,000. This is great. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, the airline was willing to give those seats away anyways, but they're, they're able to market that better than better than not and they're they're attracting people to that concept as well so it's it's not all bad i i i see where you're coming from i i understand i like i like fixed award charts for the most part too all right my awards i've got a trip to germany coming up and my awards are more expensive than they used to be definitely but the partner awards and they're more or less in line with what they're quote-unquote supposed to be yeah. so yeah um, let's talk a little bit about vaccines. Well, let's talk about Delta and vaccines and then maybe a couple other airlines. Uh, they've kind of changed up what they're doing, right? They, uh, they originally said where they weren't going to, uh, require, uh, vaccination for their employees. Uh, that's now changed to they're going to charge employees who don't get a vaccine $200 a month, uh, for not getting that vaccine. For health insurance. For health insurance. So it's yes. only if you're using the Delta health insurance, right? If you're, if you have health insurance through another means, you're not charged. Um, they also will have to be regularly tested and presumably at some point start paying for those tests, depending on how insurance and other things play out. Um, you know, it's I, I don't like that decision. I understand why they did it mm-hmm. uh, to an extent. Um, it might have something to do with the fact that the Georgia legislature, um, there might be a couple other factors as well. I know they've had some challenges with unions, the pilots union, uh, which is, if I remember correctly, still the only uh Organized group at Delta, maybe ground. Uh, no, yeah. I think or pilots was the only one. Okay, so but the Alpha uh, group and Alpha in general has basically said if you're going to require, you can't require vaccines without negotiating it with us, um, which is a combination of weirdly like anti-vaccine behavior and fine, we agree we should be vaccinated, but you should pay us to do it. Behavior is how I read that, and maybe I'm missing that, but mm. um, to me that comes off badly. Uh, I. I'm not a fan of that approach. I think that at some point, like, okay, this is like actually a health thing that has to happen. So maybe we just do it. I don't know. I, I, I don't think that they negotiated, like you have to pass your FAA physical. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and admittedly being vaccinated is not currently part of that. And in other countries it is. And so that's where you're starting to see other countries, uh, airlines requiring vaccination, right? In Canada, basically across the board, it is now required. I know WestJet and Air Canada, I would assume Porter and, uh, flare and whoever else is flying up there these days will go similarly. Uh, and Swiss. Yes. Yeah, so I was going to say Swiss is doing something similar, right? Swiss announced the vaccination will be required and basically said it's for the health of our employees, the health of our passengers, and to make sure that we can continue to operate smoothly into the countries we fly to. Uh, Gaul airlines in Brazil just announced it. They're the, I believe the, from the headline or the story I read with a first major company in Brazil to announce that sort of ruling or rule. So, uh, and possibly the first in South America. So, <laughs> you know, it's, and there's, there are others. Um, I think I don't remember all of them. So that's sort of, that's, it would be an interesting thing to see a list of at some point. I, I do find it interesting that 
Frontier made an announcement that more or less matches Delta's, but without the $200 penalty, right? You, you have to be vaccinated or you pay a penalty. A Hawaiian, sorry. Hawaiian requires vaccination, I believe. <laughs> okay. Um, but Frontier announced it as, we are going to require all our pilots to be vaccinated, asterisk, and when they asterisk, or just get tested all the time, right? It's, it's actually not a requirement, but because of the way they announced it, they actually have gotten the media win of people thinking Frontier requires all of, or not even pilots, all crew to be vaccinated, all employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Frontier's actually riding a sort of PR win that they don't deserve, in my opinion. Um, what do you think? I mean, at the same time this is happening, Europe is talking about kind of rolling back some of the uh, entry uh, allowances for the United States. Yeah. Um, and so it's not clear what that actually means right now, but it's, it is, it seems like it's, it's um, potential to say, if you're not vaccinated, you can't come to Europe. Yeah. Um, do we have any other details besides that? Not that I've seen. Yeah. I know, I know that Austria and so it's, it's by, remember that like the entry rules in Europe are by country. Yeah. So even though Schengen is like, you know, a common immigration space and, there are there's no internal borders right now. There's still theoretically like different countries will have different allowances on what they expect people to be doing. So, yeah, like uh, uh, I think I think I saw Austria and Croatia have said if you have not if you've been vaccinated greater than 270 days out. So it's been 270 days since your vaccination. You'll be treated as an unvaccinated pa- passenger or an unvaccinated yeah. traveler. But but, also a big change. Yeah. And that, this is gets into the whole concept of boosters and things yep. like that. And, Look, the, the rules about vaccination and travel are not easy and are not going to be easy for some time to come. Yes. Um, and I've, I am once again planning a, another trip to Europe for a work event. And it's a couple weeks out, and I imagine the nightmares will start soon enough. Um, <laughs> no, listen, I, I, I got to tell you guys, every time I, just, I start planning one of these trips and as it gets closer, I have nightmares about it and things going wrong and whatever. It's, you know, I, I think I find myself fortunate that I'm asleep at the time, I guess is the best I can say. <laughs> Um, but this is, has been the case for 18 months since or the last 14 months that I've had to travel in the COVID era and it is what it is. So I, yeah, but in my waking hours, um, the, the, uh, the sort of re- real version of the nightmares is trying to figure out where I'm, where am I going to get the test I need to return to the United States while I am in small town Germany? Yeah. And you know, Hey, if you're, flying, test- if you're flying United, just pick one up on your way out. So I, I'm flying on United Awards, uh, priced at the award chart rates. Thank you very much, Foss. <laughs> uh, business out and coach back, but on Swiss and on the tons of metal. So, uh, so you can't I, can't, I, I, can, I think I can buy those retail. I just don't get the United discount. Yeah, yeah. Um, South African Airlines, Airways, Airways, Airways Airlines is back from the dead. Again. Yeah, it's not dead yet, Jim. Uh. <laughs> this is but a flesh wound. Uh, <laughs> There are so many lives, uh, nine and counting, I think, is basically where we're at here. They're going to resume service across uh, the country and across the continent, um, all within Africa to start. But, yeah, someone, the government finally put the money in that it doesn't really have to spend. Are they bringing back the full operation or par- partial? Partial. Um, it's only, So they're not doing anything out of Africa yet? I don't think um, the map I saw was... A half dozen ish major cities within Africa. Um, I haven't seen a domestic route map for it yet, but I would assume decent connections for just feed, if nothing else. But <sighs> smaller fleet, who the hell knows? It's right. Like at, at some, you know, on the one hand, at some point, don't you have to let it die? On the other hand, South Africa is pretty remote and needs air connectivity to survive. So, yep. I, I, 
this is one of those I sort of look at. There's could argue this for a few countries, and you know the argument is different different ways. But like Malaysia, Malaysia has been very clear. It's exists. The reason it keeps an airline around is not because the airline is profitable, but because bringing people in is good for tourism and good for other economic factors. And so it's willing to spend money on an airline and lose a little money on that for the value of the other things because it owns it own you know whether through tax revenue or other properties it owns and industries it runs it's good value for the country but i mean south africa was pretty small by the time they started to shut down anyways but the real burden they were carrying was all their labor so the question is to have they shrunk their labor at all yeah i haven't seen any details on that i un- unlike the new alitalia uh <laughs> which it's i believe it's actually a relaunch of the same business whereas the new alitalia is closing down the old business and launching a new one. So, and I think the government is assuming some of the pension liabilities there. So, um, you know, I, I understand needing a flag carrier and whatnot. It's still though, I, I don't see how the newest version of South Africa Airways is going to do any better than any of the others. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of Alitalia, uh, they stopped selling tickets and now ITA is ramping up and starts October. Like they start their flights October 15th. Yep. I, it's really confusing that it's ITA like matrix. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think of the matrix for travel. For those who don't know, the ITA matrix was a way of searching for flights. Still is, it still exists. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, Google owns it now. It's the company that's there. One of the like biggest backend search providers for airline systems. Yeah. Um, and so every time I see ITA, I'm just like, huh? Who's, they started an airline yeah. now? But anyway. I'm with you. Uh, uh, so yeah. tell me about this. Like, they, they start ops. What's what's going to happen? Is this worth trying out or should we avoid, avoid, avoid? Well, you can't right now. So there's that. You can't if you're in the United States right now. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a few. It's sort of a one-to-one replacement for Alitalia. Okay. Uh, but also... There's some quirks, like because of the rules about the bankruptcy and what has to happen with the government refunding the airline or funding anew, if you will, um, it can't be Alitalia because Alitalia was this other brand that has gone bankrupt too many times and the government has put too much money into and it's broken at too many EU rules. But as part of its bankruptcy, Alitalia is allowed to sell any assets it has, one of which is its branding. (laughs) And so ITA has announced that it is going to bid on the branding of Alitalia and hopes to purchase it and reuse it and under the new airline called ITA right now, which is Italia Transporto Aero. Um, imagine those words pronounced with an Italian accent. And uh, yeah, it's better that I just say it that way than actually try to have an Italian accent. Um, but hopes to become Alitalia again. So, can we put our money together? Can we ask our Patreon subscribers to? We've already announced that we're going to do this. Well, uh, I just we, I want to I want to make sure everyone knows that we are going to stop Alitalia from being Alitalia. We 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 actually have a uh, handshake agreement with the gents at the Flight Radar podcast to go in together. Okay, perfect. Uh, I, like I still think to combine we don't have enough money, but we're going to try. What are we doing? Joint venture. I like we're, it. We're going to be the next Pan Am or Eastern. <laughs> I mean, Pan Am was based like 20 minutes from my house. So. Which so iteration? Uh, the, Which the most recent one, the one that failed most recently in Solon's trains is based in Portsmouth. <laughs> um, but no, it's, listen, it's bad. Uh, it's going to become Alitalia again. The, the the fun part is that as of last week, you can't, the old Alitalia won't sell you or do any ticket changes for any operations past October 15th. And the new website is terrible, but is selling tickets for October 15th and later. They've announced, you know, their U.S. markets are 
they're going to be based out of Rome, not Milan anymore uh, for long haul. They're going to use Milan's downtown Lenate airport for regional stuff. But they're clearly focused on Rome, which was like, I think, two or three of the last times Alitalia has tried to rebuild itself basically to, to sort of placate the government funding that was coming on. They kept focusing on Rome, even though that was never making any money. And so who knows how that's going to work. But one of the big challenges they have is because it's technically a new airline, they have to reapply for all their international route permissions. <laughs> so late on Friday, the filing went in, or at some point on Friday last, the filing went into the U.S. Department of Transportation saying, hi, we're a new airline. We would like permission to fly to Miami, New York, and Boston from Rome, as well as JFK to uh, Milan, starting October 15th, please. And oh, by the way, next year, 2022, we plan to add uh, Los Angeles and Washington, D.C. And then in 2023, or Dulles, not D.C., but whatever. Uh, in 2023, they plan to add San Francisco and Chicago O'Hare. So that's what the filings say. The challenge there is that depending on the DOT to turn around an application like that quickly isn't necessarily the best bet. Um, there's no reason the DOT should deny it, but like Aer Lingus UK has been trying to get its stuff approved for months now. <laughs> and Alitalia has got six and a half weeks. <laughs> or excuse well, me, ITA. ITA has six and a half weeks. So, so two things come to mind, right? One is why would you want the name Alitalia? It doesn't exactly instill confidence in anybody. Except the Italians. Well, sort of, some, Even some the Italians. Them. It's like Air India for Indians. Yeah, fair. Uh, so that's one. And the other is, do we have they indicated if they're going to join Sky Team or what their plan in that regards to all that is? And does this mean, can they take the JV slot that Alitalia is leaving? That's, an, that's what I was going to ask was about the... I thought that they got booted from the JV. Did they when they added Virgin? I thought they were still in there. I thought that... I'll have to go check the docs now. I thought because of the when that Virgin whole thing came through, Alitalia was more or less booted. Maybe they were. I remember um, they were part of the JV at one point. They were. They, yeah, they absolutely were part of the Transatlantic JV. But I thought that it's the Blue Sky JV, right? I think the last filing for them with the Virgin stuff, Alitalia was finally sort of like... They were get, there was like a countdown. They were given a, a final ending. And there, there was a way for them to sort of buy back in, but it didn't happen. Or certainly didn't happen fast enough. So I think they're gone. Um, I The whole like government approvals thing is bizarre to me, just wondering if it's actually going to happen. I They're not selling the tickets. Technically, they're legally allowed to sell tickets originating in Europe coming to the U.S., but not originating in the U.S. because they're not a licensed operator for the U.S. yet. <laughs> um but they're not selling tickets to the U.S. yet. They're also like Japan. They're not selling the Haneda tickets yet, even though it's one of the markets they said they're going to operate immediately after they start operations. So, so. in 2019, they were – the four-way um, JV did exclude all Italia. So it was yeah. in 2019. Yeah. So, again, I want to come back to – are they going to stay in – Sky Team? Sky Team, yeah. Well, they're not the airline that's a member. Mm. They're a new airline. I don't think they, I think if they wanted to, they'd have to get readmitted, mm. right? Because it's, even if it's still the name Alitalia, it's not Alitalia. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Um, I mean, that, but, that's, that's going to throw, I mean, I think that's probably going to throw a lot of people off. But yeah. No. It, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think the, presumably they'll pick up still the same call sign and, you know, ICAO and IATA codes and things like that. So there's no reason to think that goes away, but it is a new business. I'm not sure that Sky. I, I'm not sure how the Sky Team thing would work. Yeah, yeah. I suppose we could send. I guess an email and ask some people. Can they sell their membership in Sky Team? Is this not JV? It's just a marketing thing. Ooh, can we be part of Sky Team? Why we What's offer worth? We offer no flights. 
<laughs> we offer no redemptions, which is pretty much in line with Sky Team. What would you say you do here? <laughs> <laughs> I take the requirements from the engineering people to the customer. The <laughs> so you personally take them. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Let's 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 talk about Qantas. Big plans. Yeah, let's talk about big planes, big plans, whatever you want to say. Qantas A380s. They're getting rid of two of them, right? They're going to retire two. two. To but keep the rest. The yeah. yeah. Uh, have they said, I think that they said they want to prioritize the LA service. With, and Heathrow via Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I expect those to come back and first. Bring them back sooner than they thought. So when the whole, when they were originally grounded, they were uh, not supposed to come back till 2023 or 2024, I think, maybe 2023. And now they're saying early next year. I mean, that has to rely on Australia opening, right? Yes. Like, so in, so this comes on, this is out of the, uh, their earnings report, which came out last week, which is based on the first half of the year. Uh, I think they run a fiscal year that ends uh, June 30th. They finally did their report on. And basically, uh, Joyce, Alan Joyce, the CEO, came out and said, based on our vaccination rates and where we see the rest of the the world going, we think by mid-December, we will hit the necessary targets for Australia to open up. And we will be able to resume service to other uh, relatively COVID-safe markets, including the United Kingdom, Singapore, Japan, and the United States. So... Let's put aside the like what other markets he sees are as COVID safe mm-hmm. part of this and accept that maybe the uh, vaccination rate in Australia will hit whatever targets they need to hit. It's an interesting collection of destinations. Uh, Fiji also. Fiji is going to get service on single aisle planes. But it, it's an interesting collection of service. But even if the U.S. is ready to open up at that point to Australia and vice versa, I do wonder if the volume of traffic is going to be enough to justify the A380s that quickly. Yeah. And it's not going to start straight away with the 380s. It's going to start with 787s, but he expects to get there very quickly. Well, I'm just – I'm a little confused. Like Western Australia, right? Are they – are they so they're bypassing Perth. They're not going to bring back the 787s? Well, so that's a separate chunk of the discussion is <laughs> – Yeah. <laughs> right? There's just – there's the comments about uh, the nonstops to the UK, to London, currently go Perth Heathrow. Yeah. And – Apparently, Perth is being more stringent about its entry rules than the federal government wants to run. And so uh, as a result of that, it's not as welcoming to transit passengers and such. And so Qantas is saying it might run those flights via Darwin instead. I've, I've literally seen people like per, per, like Western Australia. I've seen people on planes land in Western Australia, Perth, and be told that they now have to quarantine because there was a case where they came from. Okay. Like the entire plane. And they basically shut down the border. Yeah. Can you, can you cite Trip and Vane in that case? <laughs> yeah, just fly me back. <laughs> just let me. Let me uh, like, I think, I think Western Australia thinks they're somehow God's gift to Australia because they have like all the mining. So they can do that. But it seems crazy to me. Like, so you're going to now, you're, you're going to use what, which it's Darwin. Does yeah. Darwin have enough? I, I think part of the reason Perth worked was because there was a little bit of O and D traffic, right? Um, yeah. So I think one of the ways it wins, at least for now, is that Australia is on the UK green list. Gotcha. So you don't have to quarantine when you arrive. So people uh, will be willing to put up with a Darwin stop. People or... will take the Darwin. So, and this is George's comment: is that O and D to London, the non-stops are worth more than they ever have been. And it's for people that want to be able to go back and forth between the two countries and don't want to quarantine at either end. Yeah, It's true. It's 
Um, but hugely valuable. Does Sydney still have their limit of 50 passengers per plane? I think it's even lower than that now. That was the internet, but that was international arrivals. So I don't think that applies yeah. to domestic. Not domestic, Wait, yeah. Right, but, but what I'm thinking broader, right? They're talking about bringing these 380s back. How quickly uh, can they really ramp up? Oh, the, the theory is that vaccination rates at both ends will be sufficiently high that there won't be the quarantine rules anymore. So there's some big assumptions happening there. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I understand that aspect of it, but how quickly can they pivot from 50 passengers on a plane to 500 and more know. flights? I would assume pretty quickly. I mean, the planes are the planes are over there, right? Like they're parked in. No, but, but, they're mostly in LA. I thought. Or, yeah, most oh, of them. Are, most of them are in the LA desert. But you know, think about it. Right? There's going to be more logistics that are going to have to. Even if they're background logistics, there's more logistics at play. To, again, they're going to start with seven eight sevens, not the three eighties. They're going to take. It's going to ramp up. But I mean, they're also saying they want to run three thirties from Brisbane to San Francisco and somewhere else. I don't remember. That, and it's the 330-200s, which are the long-range ones, but they need to get Airbus to uh, certify them to higher, I assume, higher max takeoff weight so they can have the additional fuel on board. they got to install crew rest. There's some interesting things going on there. I don't know. I, it's not I, – I don't think there's any airline has gone from, you know, 0 to 100 straight away. And when they have – when they do ramp back up and do it, they add the flights. They add the crew, like – Immediately, the U.S. carriers went too fast, too far, too far, too fast, and right, and are suffering for it now. But, but to talk about potentially having your 380 fleet back in operation in six months from now, mm-hmm. that's a really tall ask. And with your 789s as well, that's a lot of additional lift in the short window. What do you think they can't do? I'm curious. Well, I think we're learning with uh, uh, the, at least the U.S. airlines, right? They haven't been able to scale their operations as much as they've needed. They're hitting a lot of other struggles, labor, um, the way they're scheduling some of these things, right? We've seen, a, I think, Southwest recently said they're going to trim their schedule for the fall. Yeah, um, 1% and, or 2%, but yeah. And Australia has had such stringent border uh, restrictions. How quickly can they open up the border? F- at f- uh, how, open, how quickly can they open the spigot at full flow? I, 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 I think opening it's easy. It's closing at the time. Like, what do you have to do to open it? Like, okay, come in. I think, I think it'll be harder. Like, I think it's, I think Foz, the reason they can do some of this, right, especially for the UK via Singapore or via the nonstop, is that there's a large contingent of Brits living in Australia and vice versa. That and, part I understand, but 10 380s is not just to run UK traffic. So it's, it's only five to start. The next five are a year or two out. Okay. But that, I mean, five 380s is basically one daily turn to London and one daily turn to LA. Yeah, that's all because you need you need two frames for each. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And and I think you, I mean that's the spare. Then there's the fifth one. And the spare, yeah. I mean, but I mean, I get it. Like it seems over to me. It seems like it's crazy to to just say, okay, we're going to take these planes, we're going to start doing this. But but I guess I guess they have to, right? They got to start somewhere, and it's it's the plane that they use. But most. is there that much pent up demand to use the 380s over a 789? They're going to start with 789s in December, and the 380s come back next spring. It, and I guess we'll see. But also, like at some point, I think the, the real question is, what's the competition look like, right? Does United start bringing its planes back? Does American bring its planes back? Does Delta bring its planes back? Where Where is that? How much traffic comes in? And then from the European side as well and the Asia side as well. Qantas obviously will have a, you know, has a certain amount of that feed and whatever. But yeah. not everybody's going to fly Qantas. Well, V Australia won't come back. That's true. Um, 
on the same topic in Oceania, uh, Air New Zealand is going to long-term retire their 777s. And not even that long anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, what, three years out? Yeah. This is an interesting nope. one. That their 787 order was originally slated to replace the 777-200s, but those just got hard-retired when COVID started because, oops. And so now the 787 order is going to replace the 300s ERs. I they, they're uh, the let's say the seven eight seven tens I think are supposed to start showing up in twenty twenty four, which is when the three hundred ERs will start getting retired. There's going to be a smaller international fleet, a smaller wide body fleet, and neither the I mean I, I I'm curious I haven't looked up the range. Can the ten do L A from Auckland? Do you know? I don't know that it can. I don't think right? it can. So like. Switching from a triple seven three hundred ER to a seven eight seven nine on that route, even double daily, is a significant drop in capacity. Yeah, I wonder what this does. Does this and the tens can do the regional stuff? The tens can do you know within Asia and whatever. But apparently, it can do ten thousand miles. So then, yes, it can. The ten can. That's what's coming up. That doesn't sound right to me. Eight thousand fifty five. But this is, this is why it, we it, have a producer. I mean, it does Tel Aviv, right? So that's. So Auckland West Coast is probably similar. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, that was the, my first thought. I didn't look it up. I should have. No more Sky Coach. It's, I'm sorry, Foz. I know that was your preferred way to cross the ocean in coach. Um, you know, you know me so much. Uh, 6430 yeah. <laughs> nautical miles. Auckland LA is the range on the ten. Yes. So Auckland LA is sixty five oh four, and it's oh, a, no. which is nine hundred mile, eight hundred miles longer than Newark Tel Aviv. So yeah, I don't think it has the range for that. Nope. Um, so yeah, if you're taking a 300 ER and dropping down to a 77-9 for that route, that's a lot of capacity loss. Yeah, absolutely. And that was like the one, you know, that was one of their biggest moneymaker routes. It's That's a real interesting shift to me. I, I sort of get why they're doing it, but also, I mean, do they have to add a third daily? Do they let United fly some in and try to figure that out? They're, I remember American wanted to fly LA to both Auckland and Christchurch. Mm-hmm. Uh, last summer or winter, but then obviously didn't happen. Like that, that becomes a real interesting play to me. Um, yeah. On the plus side, like fleet simplification, yada yada yada. That's that's all good for the business, but it'll be real interesting to see. It's committing to that right now into retiring the 300 yards five years out is without knowing what the recovery looks like is a real interesting. Is is that so? Their 787s, they were the ones doing Chicago, right? The 787-9 was doing yes. the, yes. Yes. to Chicago and Houston. Yes. And weren't they starting somewhere else? Uh, Newark. They were going to do Newark. The, Houston, that never started. Houston launched with a 300ER. I was on it. Gotcha. And I think it switched to a 787. It may have switched, but it launched with a yeah. 7 Yeah, because yeah, they didn't have their 7.8s, or they weren't all yeah. operational when they launched that route. Now, the Dash 9 can do all that stuff. It's just, it's a smaller plane. It doesn't have yeah. any seats. Yeah, the, da- the Dash 9 is like a 777-200. Not even. I mean, I thought from a seat count, it was about uh, the same. No, I mean, it depends how you configure it. But Foz, weren't you and I booked on Chicago? You're on the you were booked on the yes. Augur, weren't you guys? Yeah, yeah, and then, and then COVID, and then no, uh, <laughs> no not the, we were trying to do we were trying to do the inaugural of Newark because I've flown uh, Chicago. Oh, but we were, that, we were we were we were we were doing Chicago Brisbane. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I knew we yeah. were flying. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, Air New Zealand, Air New Zealand had two eighty six three twelve on its. Uh, 200 ER, 212 seats, and very close to that. Just 301 on a 77-9. So, yeah, it's more than I thought on the Dash 9. Wow. And there's no Sky Couch, huh? Darn. I guess not. 
Darn. Um, more planes being bought. Delta is buying 30 more A321 Neos. I think this makes it 155 now on order. It's a lot. Uh, the, the Dash 9s do have Sky Couch, or at least some of them do. Okay. Um, I don't know if about the Dash 10s. Uh, yeah, the uh, it's a lot of 321 Neos. Yeah. But they have like 107.5s. So yeah. I guess it replaces and gives them a little more seating. It probably starts replacing some of the older 739s as well. And 7.6s, since they're still flying those around that they said they weren't going to anymore. Yep. Yeah. No, this is, it's upgaging a lot of the single aisle. Um, it's just as long, you know, as long as they use them within the range that they're slated for, I don't think they're going to cross the Atlantic. So it makes a lot of sense. It's it's a lot of planes. Yeah. I think we're, I think we're seeing, we continue to see, and that the timing of it is such that, the U.S. carriers are 100% convinced that COVID was a small blip and is not going to affect. It, it was basically a strict offset, right? Like, take whatever we were doing, shift it two years, 18 to 24 months, and keep doing it mm. across the board. And or, and or get more aggressive. Allegiant got more aggressive because they got cheap planes. Right? <laughs> they had someone uh, on their earnings call a couple weeks ago. They're basically like, yeah, we found planes that were so cheap, even if we can't use them for a year, we couldn't afford not to buy, like, to grab the leases. <laughs> So I'm paraphrasing, Del- but that's what he said. Like these these rates won't last forever. We had to grab them while we could. Yeah. So Delta has 113 seven fives, okay, 97 two hundreds, 16 three hundreds, and 137 three nines. So I don't know how many of these are actually going to be growth. It's just replacing old stuff. Yeah, I mean the seven five threes, right? The, they don't have an airframe to fit that, so they could increase service and in the routes they fly those on. Yeah, the well, uh, three twenty Neo should. Depending on how they configure the interiors, is- that's what I was. That's what I was going to ask. Was what do you know? Do we know what they're going to actually put inside of them? Are they going to be, you know, twenty four seats in F, and then the rest coach? Or that's what I expect. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I think the, the real question, or not question, but sort of statement that that makes is: Is this yet another nail in the coffin of NMA, Boeing's next whatever? That's not going to happen. They have one hundred and twenty two three twenty ones already. Yeah, CEOs. And they start, they're still flying all the seven fives. Yeah. What are they doing with all those seats? <laughs> I mean, they, a lot of people going to Florida, I guess. No, there's a I mean, big network, but yeah. Every, well, I mean, they fly, I see them all the time. Like uh, they'll fly one or twice a day to Salt Lake city for, I guess, for connecting passengers out of PDX and seem to LA a lot. I mean, I guess they fill them up. They have a lot of planes. Yeah. 827 total between active and parked. Wow. Wow. Um, Anything else you guys want to talk about? No? Yeah? Yeah. Nah. I think that's a show. I think uh, we want to first thank our Patreon subscribers and a, a new Patreon subscriber, uh, Elliot Miller. Thank you for signing up. We appreciate it. Um, you, if you'd like to sign up, you can go to Patreon. You can go to our website. We have the, the details on there. Uh, more dots, more lines.com. Uh, at dots lines on Twitter. If you'd like to leave a comment or ask us a question or, you know, rant about my uh, Western Australia comment, whatever, I probably won't reply, but <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for listening and uh, happy travels. Bye-bye. Take care. I'll reply on Steven's behalf. It'll be worth it. I promise. <laughs>